Hi, it's Carrie. Just a quick message about this episode. We had some technical difficulties, meaning that our internet died a couple times during the episode. And then at the end, it just completely went out. So our audio engineer is going to magically clean it up as well as they can, but it ends abruptly. (laughs) We couldn't avoid it. And I also apologize for singing during this episode. And thanks everyone so much for listening as always. Hi. Hello. Hello. Long time no see. (laughs) How have you been, Jen? It's been so long since we were sitting on the couch in the other room together. (laughs) We have so many good intentions and we make so much effort. Well, make probably like 50% honest effort at creating a podcast with a regular episodes but it's been a wild wild summer august was wild yeah Yeah. oh yeah you'd think that two people that live together would have all this time you know that you'd have an hour here or there and last tuesday we had it on the schedule and then you got asked to Do something that you did and we do and that sometimes, you know, sometimes things take precedence over when you kind of have a loose plan. And then here we are again on a Tuesday. And this is going to be the time we're trying to do it. Tuesdays, Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. It just wasn't the Tuesday that we thought it was going to be initially. And maybe a few Tuesdays before that, we also probably tried and something lifey lifed us mm-hmm. yeah we got lifed a lot of lifey a lot of lifey stuff it's hard to even go down the list of the things that have we've been participating in since we moved i know our last episode have we done two episodes since we've moved or just yeah the last probably one maybe courtney two yeah yeah two and it's all great stuff it's all stuff that i'm grateful well, for i mean i got enjoy I got laid off well, that part wasn't so great. Right. That wasn't so great. I got laid off from my dream job that actually, you know, it was getting a little bit musty and dusty. And I probably never would have left. So if God wants me to be somewhere else, he's going to have to fire me or lay me off because I ain't leaving nothing. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. Sure. But still, yeah, that was you're right. That was a definite shockwave shock to the system of to you and to a lot of other people too including me of course but yeah that's been wild but then well the other day you said to me you've been so busy since that happened like when did you even have time to work I don't even know I don't know when I had time to work because my life it's like it's like a my job was a dam holding back all this other shit and as soon as the dam broke, like <laughs> right? my yeah. life is filled with all this other shit, which is like a lot of it's like super awesome, very fun, cool life stuff. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling today about the happenings around that event? Well, I became a grandma, so mm. so we had a we have a grandbaby. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about her because her mom's very private and I respect that. But yeah, we have a baby 
in the family. And it's wonderful. And I love her. And I love seeing my child become a parent. And it's all been very great. But that probably took up, not took up, but that's like a place where I've spent a lot of my hours and energy and cooking and helping and, you know, supporting and going to appointments and lots of burping, lots of diapers. (laughs) It almost seemed like they happened, like one one thing happened so you could be available for the other thing. Yeah, even though that's how it seemed. You wouldn't have, right, even though you wouldn't have said, oh, I'm going to quit my job because this thing's happening. But it all happened in like sequential order or something. It's very, it's odd. I mean, it, I've, it's very strange. It's very strange. It's like the most natural thing ever, right, to like, childbirth and becoming a parent and a grandparent and all that stuff but it's like pretty it's pretty wild to when it's happening to you you know yeah so it's super super wonderful I'm absolutely in love I think she's the best person that's ever been born and it's really great to watch life happen to people that you love so that's cool I also I have like a pimple on my forehead that hurts so bad it feels like I got shot <laughs> oh, no. in the head. So that is also happening today. It's a, it's a day where it feels like I don't know if you get these days where it feels like everything is too tight. Mm-hmm. Like my like my the like the cuff of my sweatpants is too tight, the tag on my underwear is too itchy, like everything feels a little twisted and prickly. It's one of the, those days like Everything is everything I touch is tangled. Everything I, you know, walk past falls over. Like just one of those kind of, I don't know what kind of days those are. It's like your polarity gets switched or something. <laughs> like everything is hard on that day. I have that. Yeah. Let's see. I lot. I was laid off. I became a grandparent. We've had lots of parties. I keep telling people that I think we accidentally moved into a party house. Mm-hmm. Because there has, I mean, we have more company at this house than we had at Green Lake <laughs> by like no, five no. times. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but I feel like we kind of set this intention. Like we talked about building this community and having a space where we could like have gatherings. And lo and behold, we moved into a space where we have a bunch of gatherings. Yeah. Yeah. So, I feel like it's been we're stepping into the creation that we created purposefully. So it's felt really fun and really joyful and really relaxing in a way because the first event we had, the housewarming, happened two days after you unceremoniously were laid off on a Friday at the end of the day. And our, the get-together was on that Sunday. And I suggested canceling it because I want to cancel everything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you were like, <laughs> you were like, no, I think we should have it. And it was very fabulous. It was very relaxed and joyful and really fun. And like lots of people were there. Lots of people. Came. Yeah, yeah. It just felt really celebratory and really like just such a joyful community moment. Yep, and then uh, like 10 days after that, I had a barbecue for the conference that I was the conference chair of at the end of August and we had house guests cuz we were hosting one of the speakers and his wife and 
So we had house guests for a week and lots of parties and get togethers about that. Yeah. Games. Our recycle pile has been like a frat house of. Yeah. LaCroix. Fizz, well, ours is all fizzy water and <laughs> boxes of water, but it's like these huge piles of cardboard and cans and everyone's like, what is all that? And we're like, yeah, that's how much entertaining we've been doing. And I've really enjoyed like kind of the logistics of it like the I'm not like a big like a nasty type of person but I've really enjoyed kind of like cleaning up and setting stuff up and breaking stuff down and I'm like oh this is a part of me that I've never really nurtured before it's kind of interesting and I sometimes and I also realize about myself that I sometimes a crowd of people is a little bit too much for me sometimes it's a little too loud sometimes I don't feel like I can mesh into the group and sometimes I do and I just allow myself to like come in and out of the of the group if it gets intense or whatever gets too loud for me or whatever my tweak is for that particular day but it's all been really nice and we've got a lot of animals and people coming and going and the ring camera going off all the time and it's just like that's the other thing so we're the super active house and we have we are fostering a dog who I am going to politely say has a lot of behavioral health conditions. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's also very young. He's a puppy, and he's yeah, and he's a naughty. He's two naughty breeds, I he's think, two, too. Which is yeah, naughty breeds and has PTSD and anxious attachment. Yeah, anxious attachment. Quite a bit more barking than we've ever been used to. And also just a lot of different activities that we weren't used to with our regular dog that we've had for two years. Just a different set of behaviors. Our regular dog is like, has never done a bad thing ever. Like the worst thing he does is he runs after the bunnies when he's not on a leash. and he. But he always comes back. He's never been gone more than three minutes unsupervised, right? Like, yeah, he likes to chase bunnies. That's the only bad thing that dog has ever done. I'm trying to think of if we're forgetting. Like, I'm trying to remember when he was a puppy. I mean, like, what he, were, right, I, we had to house just, train him, which is, you know, but that's yeah, we had to part train, of it. Yeah. But no, he's never done a bad thing. He's never chewed on something that wasn't his. He's never, he didn't ever chase a cat. He never stole your socks out of the laundry basket. He never dug a <laughs> hole in the no. yard and ended up on the other side of the fence. <laughs> accidentally escaped out of the fence he's never done anything like those things well also what i was gonna say is what we know so i went on a trip and i took our dog with us and my two nephews and we went to idaho to lake Coeur d'Alene to spend some time with my family this over there during the summer so paluto our regular dog and tito were separated for a week tito is the foster dog so they were separated for the first time since Tito's been with us, and Tito really acted out he pretty was severely when he wasn't with <laughs> yeah when he wasn't with Paluto. So now I feel like Paluto is like his like mentor, like grounding yeah, force, it's his peer his support, service animal, his peer support dog. It's his he's a peer support dog for dogs. So then, what happens? Well, I don't even I don't even want to go there, but it's been. It's been very nice, I think, for Tito to have Paluto in a new environment and have someone to connect with and be his 
guiding light and And he's gotten a lot better he's gotten a lot better yeah his protege is calming down and not barking at the cat as much i mean and remember when we had that first party he barked at everybody who came over oh yeah incessantly (laughs) just that was rough well, smartly, you put a sign outside and put treats out there and said, we we're trying to acclimate this new dog to not being scared of people. Please grab a treat and come in and give him a treat. And by like halfway through the party, Tito w- couldn't even eat any more <laughs> treats. He wouldn't even take treats from people anymore because everybody was doing it. I think that probably helped quite a bit. It's like all the acclimating and conditioning and just trying to make him feel safe. Yeah. And, and it's teaching all that him that strangers been- are, not da- are not bad. That strangers can be fun and strangers can bring him good feelings. They might give you a treat. Yeah. And he, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, at least for very long, bark at anybody he doesn't know anymore. I think he moved into Party House, so he's had to get used to visitors. So it seems like what he's doing now, like barking at the mailman a little bit out the window, like he now he just seems to do it kind of the appropriate amount. He'll do it for a second and then he'll stop. It's like, I'm letting you know I see something and now I'm going to stop. So I always just try to acknowledge like, OK, we see him. Thank you. You can. Yeah. But some days are better than others still. And he is. I mean, we should really find out his birthday because we do want to have a little birthday party for his <laughs> one year. <laughs> Get him a little little ice cream or a little hat or something. I mean, he's so cute. He's just such a goofball. He's so charismatic and so much fun to have around, usually. It's a lot, It's been a lot. It's a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot. The two dogs when you're by yourself is kind of a lot. Like, if you have something that you have to tend to, and, you like, Tito still needs supervision. We still need to kind of keep an eye on him and know where he is. And I bought him a tiny collar, a cat collar with a bell on it, which they promptly chewed off of him somehow (laughs) someone did i found it on the ground with bite marks on the buckle like okay i guess (laughs) yeah so now he's back into stealth mode where i know i never know where he is and if it's dark and he's out in the yard yeah i don't i don't have no idea to buy him like a jingle bell like a christmas bracelet so he can really hear where he is (laughs) i know Yeah, so that's August. August has been, August and September were huge. Yeah, it's been a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of... It's all good. Lifey, good stuff. Yeah, I really haven't missed being in the city. We've actually, I feel like we've been in the city a lot over the last few weeks. A lot of driving, a lot of stuff happening. Oh, speaking of zits, on (laughs) Sunday I went down to... It's like a fu- I got fucking shot in the head is what it feels like. I have hundreds of dollars of Botox and a pimple. It's like, how is this my life? Oh, I know. I was wearing a zit sticker when I went to an event and my son was there and I had a full face of makeup on and a zit sticker and on my chin. And Mason said to me, we went out to lunch with a group of people and he said kind of privately, mom, you have a sticker on your face. And I go, I know there's a zit underneath <laughs> it. I'm like, it's so great being old and having zits. Like, why? Why? It is. And it just seems to be, I mean, I'm glad you understand because I, we have friends who don't have this (laughs) phenomenon at our age. I know. I know. That's not me. 
And I went to the optometrist today and my eyes are dying. They're old and failing <laughs> and I have to get a million different kinds of glasses and I can, I'm not a candidate for LASIK. So Oh, you're not? I'm just, no. Why? Because it's not bad enough or it's not? It's not bad enough. Well, that's what she said. She said, your eyes are easily correctable to 2020 with glasses. And also the things that you do have aren't really LASIK related things. And so the good news is your eyes are easily correctable. The bad news is you're wearing glasses from here on out pretty much. So I'm trying to get into acceptance around that. But it was such a wild experience. All the different machines now and stuff is so like high tech and cool. You get to see the back of your inside of your eyeball now and stuff. But, yeah, she was a really good – I felt like she was a really good optometrist, and it's so close to our house. It just felt like a really easy thing to go yeah, do. Yeah, I thought so, too. I liked it And I lot. didn't buy the Gucci frames. You know, I wanted the Gucci frames. Good job. And, yeah, that's it. I've been feeling some, like, low-level anxiety kind of mania kind of – Ever since you found out that um, Harry Styles might be bald. <laughs> It's all no, it came before. <laughs> it was before that. <laughs> I've had it for like a week, and I think I told you. Well, I don't know if I told you this, but like last Saturday when I was driving into the city, and it was one of the really smoky days, and I was driving on the I five going north, and usually you can see Seattle like the Emerald City, which is what you it's couldn't. called. And I couldn't see it. No, and I just got this wave of anxiety and I was like, okay, I'm feeling this. Let me try to identify what could the reasons be? Am I breathing? Am I holding my breath? Am I worrying about things out of my control? And you know, all the list of stuff. And I was in my car just trying to breathe through it. And by the time I got into the city, I felt a little bit better. But it seems like each day I've kind of had these bouts of I mean, that's the only way that I can describe it. It's just kind of an undercurrent of kind of feeling anxious. And so I've been trying to be diligent about, like, taking my ashwagandha. And I've been taking a lot of allergy meds, too, lately. Mm, and I that think might maybe be part that, of it, yeah. Because a lot of them have, like, amphetamines, you know, or whatever they're called. Yeah. Like, they have tweakies. Yeah, I've been taking Claritin, which hasn't affected me like this before. But I don't – but maybe it does now or something. Uh, I mean, I use a fucking – I'm swearing a lot. Why am I swearing a lot? But I use a like a a new eye cream and it hurts my eye, like my eyes swell up and get sensitive. Like my tolerance for discomfort is like I mean it's like lit- like I can't I can't really wear a lot. I can't wear mascara anymore because it hurts. Like I what changed? Did mascara change or did my my eye change? I think COVID made mascara hurt me, but I I have this I'm, I have like a lot of super sensitivities now. Like I feel extra sensitive. I don't know if it's just because I'm have a lower tolerance for my own physical discomfort, or if like I don't know, just if things, things are, are changing physically more uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Well, either way, it just seems like there's adjustments to be made, you know, and I just have to remind myself of the things that I tell other people all the time to just be kind to myself and let myself rest or whatever it is that, you know, is happening or to just acknowledge that it's happening. Like, wow, I'm feeling some anxiety. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in life that, like you said, you know, with our kids and whatever, that's, you know, they're private people and I'm not going to, and none of it's bad stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's just life stuff. But, you know, Mason's got a big event happening. You're, you know, there's big events yeah. happening. And I think it's just like a 
kind of a guttural kind of ancient like attempt to worry about things is how it kind of occurs to me like I'm my mind wants me to attach and worry about happenings that are happening and I'm trying to fight against that and not go full-blown worry mode or anxiety mode I'm not a person I don't identify as being a person who has suffered from a lot of noticeable anxiety but maybe that's not true I don't know I mean it's hard to say if you've been dissociated for most of your life right it's hard to say that's true too yeah that's true too so just putting one foot in front of the other and you know, and I still work at the place where you don't work, yeah. and that's a, a thing. <laughs> that's you know, wild. that is un, feels real uncertain and un, unknown, and that's all right. But it's there, mm-hmm. you know. And I think just acknowledging it and being like, "Okay, universe, here's what I'm feeling." Yeah, I'm gonna just not do the wallowing or whatever it is. And I've been having really robust, you know, sessions in my energy practice with my practitioner. And I think that's really helpful. You know, I do that every other week. And that's really been helpful in not attaching to that propensity to worry or try to control outcomes or try to make it easier or try to make their experience different, you know? Yeah, I could very much like, and it's happened to me before, like the last time I was laid off was when we both worked together at that other company. And I was oh, laid off right. for six yeah. months and like I couldn't get a job. I could not get a job. And I was freaking out because I'm a person who historically has like gotten a lot of satisfaction from working. And so if I don't work, I mean, what used to be true is I don't really d- do free time very well. I like to have a paycheck and I like to have some purpose. And, you know, working gives you both of those things, even if it's not like aligned with my purpose, like at least I have something I'm supposed to do every Tuesday at three or whatever. So I like have really structure. I like I historically have liked to have structure. But this time, like I've definitely, definitely moments, five minutes at a time where I have been pretty freaked out about like my financial future or like, what am I going to do or but You know, the other day I was like, yo, I'm 53 years old and I'm applying at startups, which, you know, as part of unemployment, like I'm supposed to apply places and and I am applying places and I'm like taking um, referrals and, you know, trying to make connections and doing all the things to so like I am looking for a job in the health technology sector. But there's another part of me that's just like, what if this is the time? where you're supposed to do something different, where, you know, I'm 53 years old, what am I going to do, go work for a startup where people are half my age and have twice my energy and one third my wisdom and go play that hustle again and, you know, just be new somewhere and you have to do all those weird political games like find the asshole and, you know, like (laughs) all of that, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to, what am I going to do that for three or four more years? And then I'm going to be 57 or 58 or something. And I mean, I'm like, when are we going to think about retirement? Or is that even in the cards? Or am I going to still be working at startups when I'm 60 years old? And so like, maybe this is the time to do something different, right? Maybe now, like, 
what would that be? What could I do that was working for myself or working as part of a consortium of, in a cooperative of people doing something else? So I'm trying to hold space for both of like, yeah, we're going to just kind of, you know, put half of our energy here and half of our energy here. And as my sponsor said, just praying for God to bless it or block it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, which one it will be. I'm taking a bunch of courses, which I just found out I can take a whole bunch of courses for free through unemployment. Oh, wow. You know, just I'm going to take some Reiki. I'm going to take some hypnosis. I'm going to take some life coaching. I'm going to take some all kinds of different classes and maybe, you know, offer. I don't know if I could pay my bills with with what I have to offer. I have no idea. But maybe I'll do some life coaching or some consulting or some professional coaching or Maybe I'm just giving it out to the universe of like, maybe that's not impossible. For sure. It for sure is not impossible. I mean, to me, that's just that just sounds like the most natural, obvious next step for you. It sounds really either way. You can't go wrong. You're covering all the bases. It's like you're putting the energy into all the stuff that's in front of you and then just by natural selection the things that are supposed to stick are going to stick and the things that aren't aren't and you're covered in all the ways and it gives you structure it keeps your brain interested in something because you're the type of person that likes to always be learning something anyway and you're right it's like this opportunity to have this time I mean when When am I ever going to have that study time school time you know yeah And the ideal situation would be like a part-time job and some hours that I could spend offering hours for people to like get a download. Part-time practice. Yeah, for sure. And you are the type of person that people want to come to for guidance. We see it in our work environment we see it in our recovery community like you are to the point where you're at that place I think where a lot of people are attracted to you for information guidance for like level-headed rational perspective about things and I think it sounds really perfect I mean we have a, a dear friend a close friend who does this and It's the same type of thing. It's just a really compassionate, really solid delivery of options and information and personal experience. And it it sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if I can get a discount, if I can get like... Oh, you can just trade me healing key for... I mean, you get it all for free. Right. I know. That's the thing. I get it all for free. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. And I think it aligns in with like the the new house and the space and the community and all of that stuff. It's like, it's all percolating in the background right now, like kind of forming itself. And then it's going to, you know, launch into probably a bunch of different iterations of this community. But I think it's really exciting. I'm really excited for you. I love all the stuff you're studying and I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. I'm thinking of becoming a dog groomer. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> we're, we're each just like, how are we going to roll off into the old yeah. age? How are we going to be 
old babies. Mm -hmm. Make a living and experience some connection and joy and community. I mean... Oh, if you're listening to this and you know us personally and you're in Seattle or in Puget Sound and you have some old chairs, we really... We're looking for hand-me-down chairs like dining room chairs or like lazy boy chair or folding chair we have a really great front room that's like a living room that we want to turn into a place where we can have support meetings or focus groups on gatherings spiritual gatherings discussion groups or book studies or whatever and we need places to sit so if you have any chairs, let us know. Send us a message on Instagram. Send us a picture. Yeah. Or if you got like an old funky chair from your grandma that is old and funky and cool and whatever and doesn't fit in your modern cool Instagram influencer decor. Send us a pic if we come pick it up or you can bring it over. And when you come over, it can be your chair. You can have dibs on that chair. Oh, my gosh. That's fun. That is so yeah. fun. So maybe that's we'll really get some cute. chairs. Yeah, I think that's going to be really fun. It's a really neat room. It has a really good, yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. I really want to hang out room. in that room more, but we just need to make it I a know. place for. It's a. It's definitely like a group of people room. It's a group of people. Room. Yeah. It's like a sitting room. Yeah, but it's big. Yeah, it's so big. Really good acoustics. Be really cool for drumming and gonging and laying down on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited. Rolling, That's going to be fun for winter. Napping. Mm-hmm. I know. And if you have a gong. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a whiteboard. Bring it over and gong us. A whiteboard, a gong. gong. Us. Yeah, come gong us. <laughs> Singing bowl. All that. Oh, yeah. Those bowls. Like, a, yeah, bowls. Mm-hmm. I forgot. We should get some bowls, too. Singing bowls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a series of strange... Insights, downloads, awakenings, perspective shifts about our specific support group, anonymous group, and its literature. Our recovery pathway that we participate in. Our journey. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) I hate the word journey. I do too. And I have said it myself recently, so I'm not... I just don't know if there's a better word. Like, well, I don't know what else to call it. Experience? Yeah, sure. I only like the word journey when we're talking about hero's journey. Oh, yeah. That's true. I like. I don't mind that. Or the band. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a pretty epic drive into the city where we only listened to <laughs> power ballads from the 1980s and, yeah, late 80s, the hair metal era. And we listened to all the power ballads and sang most of the words at pretty high volume in the car. And then we've been singing them ever since. Like, those songs are sticky. They are stuck Mm -hmm. in my head. A combination of all of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm compelled to sing some right now, but I feel (laughs) like I don't want to do that to people that have so kindly taken the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steel cuts men like a knife, <laughs> I guess, every rose. Yeah. All those. All of them. And, oh, God, I can't even do the slaughter song, the angels, fly to the angels. That's too much <laughs> for people. What was the Skid Row power ballad? Um, I Remember You. 
Oh, yes. I, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Remember yesterday. Yeah, all of them, all walking them. hand in hand. <laughs> I thought I was going to sing the other Skid Row song about 18 and life to go. But <laughs> yep. that wasn't it. I'm sure people are fast forwarding through this section. <laughs> oh, God. It was just. It was really fun. It was fun. so satisfying. Yeah, it was though. really yeah. fun. It was great. I was surprised at how many of the words I knew. I was also very surprised at how many of the words you knew. But it seemed well, pretty equally. You, can, you were equally yeah. matched. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can. You didn't go through the 80s without hearing those songs many, many times, whether you sought them out or not. That's true. They were just in rotation. What was the one? What's the Nuno Betancourt song? More than words. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. We sang literally every word of that song. Oh, God. It's so good till the end. And then <laughs> and they, they just yeah. went they on just, a little too long. They, went, they just did too many la la la's. <laughs> la la la. Oh, my God. That's, that song is more fun if you get to watch Nuno Betancourt at the same time you're listening to the song. So Is he the one that had the widow's peak and wore the half pony? I don't think so. He was the guitar, the guy that played guitar. He wasn't like the main singer of that song, but he was I will have to, the main we'll focal have to point the in the video. video. Yeah. We'll have to Google the oh, video. I don't, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so corny to even say that, like <laughs> objectifying a human being, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Okay. 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 Sidebar. Sidebar complete. If you're fast forwarding through our singing, you can trust that it is over now. <laughs> Well, (laughs) you never know. I make this promise to you. I will not sing again. Okay. Okay. I will pledge to not sing again on this episode (laughs) of the podcast. I was doing some AA, like, history research, and my um, some of the house guests that we had are past delegates of AA, and we were talking in the car about... That there is a new piece of AA literature being developed. I'm not so sure that it's like 100% signed off on, but it is like something that's in discussion and likely going to happen, it sounds like. And it is a plain language big book. A big book written in, which is the AA basic text. It's like one of the most revered texts probably I don't know, probably in the top 10 books of all time of like revered texts. Yeah. The Holy Grail of the 12-step community. And I do agree. Like it is holy. It is a mystical text. It is sacred scripture. I do agree with that. And so there's a lot of feelings that people have about this idea of, it's not a revision to the basic text. They're not going to it won't be like uh, edition five now in plain English. It's going to be a supplemental piece of literature. And there's a lot of feelings. People have a lot of feelings about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. And why do we even need it? Because our text is accessible and don't fix it if it ain't broke. Right. And, and what if you fix it and then it doesn't work anymore? What if you change it and it doesn't have the same magical, mystical powers as it does now? And so that's kind of the background where some of these thoughts and inspirations are kind of landing on. And um, so I did some prayer and some, 
you know, a lot of like rumination, which sometimes I call like contemplative prayer, just like thinking about a, a thing and mulling it over and, you know, asking God for new way to look at things. And and I went to Fellowship of the Spirit, which is the conference that I was the chair of this year. It's my favorite AA conference. We do one in the, the Northwest and it's called Northwest Fellowship of the Spirit. It's based on a Fellowship of the Spirit, which is a conference that's based out of Colorado. We have our own version. It happens in the end of August, and I was the chair this year, and that means I got to pick all the speakers, and I made effort to pick a variety of experiences. Yeah, so to add some diversity if I could. And uh, we also had some cool diversity in the audience. Like, it was a cool group of people, and everyone's kind of, like, half-cracked open and like ready to have to feel emotional things and and it was a really emotional weekend and it was really beautiful and so that is another ingredient in this thought that I've been ruminating on and we talked about the steps four and five which is to make a personal inventory and then step five is admitted to God to another human being and to ourselves, the exact nature of our wrongs. Mm. And this thought came through my mind. And it was basically like, is it possible that AA is yet another system that has been occupied by patriarchy, by sexism, by racism, by ableism, by you know, body shaming by all all of the isms, right? Is it possible that any of that could exist inside a a spiritual community? Right, recovery community. And of course the answer is yes, right? Like as soon as I had the thought, is it possible? The answer is a crushing yes, it is possible. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, okay, well, where where is that spot? Where is it hanging out? Where Where does it appear? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's not in the basic text, right? The AA Big Book was written by a, a white sex addict stockbroker who didn't drink anymore, <laughs> but smoked himself to death and could not stop having affairs on his wife and, you know, tried to make money from AA and, you know, just a very human be- person, but mm-hmm. who also was a spiritual thinker and I feel like conduit and wrote some of the most spiritual, easy access stuff ever, right? Like the 12 steps are a way to have an absolute rearrangement of your, the way you think, the way you act, the way you feel, what you believe in to like make huge positive changes in your life. So, and he's the author of it. And so both are true. He's human. He had all of these privileges and blind spots like like everyone does. And, you know, AA has gone through lots of iterations and has lots of different, like, ways that you are taught to do it. It has, honestly, like, lineages, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we do it this way. And in California at the Pacific Group, we do it this way. And in Seattle at the Solution Group, we do it this way. And Big Book Awakenings does it this way. And every way is a little bit different. Often, I think what can hide in in those methods 
are those things we talked about, which is patriarchy, sexism, ableism, you know, like that's where it can hide sometimes in, in these like ways that we think is the way to do it. Well, and even in terms of like neurodiversity or trauma survivors or PTSD, yeah, right, whatever. Exactly, so everybody's yeah. g- coming from a different place. Yeah, right. Even if you are a white dude, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, right, you might yeah, still have, yeah. right. And I would say everybody fits into, I mean, there's not, there's probably not that many people in the like 100% privileged group, right? Like there's everybody, right. yeah. not everybody because that would be disrespectful to say to the people who actually are in minority and underprivileged groups to say that everybody is in some way, but because that's not true. There are people who have privilege and power. And in most, like in most cultures, the the people who have privilege and power are the ones who decide what is the right way to do things. And so we've talked about it before, I think, of like when we first went through the steps, the way that we did steps four and five is you write this personal inventory and there's a method that's described in the book. And then, and we take some liberties. We say, well, do it like this. Don't do it like that. Add this column. Don't add that column. Don't add yourself to your resentment inventory. Although Mm. it doesn't say you can't do that, but we make a lot of these like, which is ironic that we do that because A lot of times what people who are saying those kind of things say is like, just do the black words on the white pages of the blue book, right? That's all we're teaching you, how to do the black words on the white pages of the blue book. But without really examining it very closely, the truth is, is that we've made up a lot of methods that are not actually from the black words on the white pages, Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we write this inventory and then you go the way I was raised, the way you were raised, the way I've done it with people since is that you go read that inventory page by page by page to your sponsor. Or I guess it could be someone other than your sponsor, but typically people do it to their sponsor. Yeah. And it's very like nobody questions that, even though factually, it doesn't say anything like that in our basic text. It doesn't say, take these columns that you just wrote and take them to your sponsor or your psychiatrist or your AA friend or whatever. The who doesn't matter so much as the what, which is read the inventory, person by person, word by word, read every part of it. And... I feel like that in particular is a place where some of this like privilege and power could hide and there could be people who like, oh, I have a lot of childhood trauma or I was raised in a super orthodox home and, you know, whatever it is, like I am a former sex worker or I'm a former bank robber or whatever it is, like There are things that I actually don't feel comfortable telling anybody about, especially like when we were first reading our inventories in the 90s, like you got torn up for what was in your inventory, right? Yeah. It was was used to sort of like, yeah, it was used to like, guilt. and I get it. It was like, 
we were supposed to see that we were these agents of chaos and that we caused a lot of harm in our selfishness and self-centeredness and and you weren't allowed or you, it wasn't acceptable for you to be on that list of like who got hurt right you couldn't say you like you couldn't be on that list but it was just really about like what you had done to your family and what you had done to your community and you know when we were first going through there was a lot of like rubbing your nose in it like mm-hmm. how could you do that to your mother and all that kind of stuff and so you know is it possible that there are communities and pockets of people who hear that that's how we do it around here is you write this inventory and then you read it to someone and they say like i cannot do that there's no way that i'm going to be able to be that I couldn't do that. I'm not, I, I don't want to be shamed. I've been shamed my whole life. I feel embarrassed for existing. I've been told that I'm an abomination, that I am a curse against God, that whatever, and I'm not going to go into AA and hear that. Well, right. And plus, I've been in fight or flight my whole life. And now I don't feel safe right now. And you're telling me I have to do this to stay sober. Well, I guess I can't stay sober because I don't feel like I can do this. So what they do is they leave. They leave AA. And what we would say when I still had goggles on about this stuff is that they must not be willing. Right. You're not willing to go to any lengths. You're not doing what we do. You're not doing the black words on the white pages. But we, no one ever traced it back to see like, oh, shoot, that's not actually in the book. <laughs> oh, shoot. Ah, shoot. We blew it. We blew, it. We've blown it for decades. Mm-hmm. We've blown it. And so what is in the book? Well, what is in the book, the inventory part is in the book. And I've been, I mean, I feel like such a major hypocrite in this area because I've been one to say like we just do what's in the book just do what's in the book when it says write we write when it says pray we pray when it says read your inventory to your sponsor oh shit it doesn't say that (laughs) what it does say is we get ready for a long talk we tell someone our whole life story we share our defects of character with another person right so it doesn't have to be like Here's how I'm going to hopefully bring it into my step work is, okay, so you've done this inventory. Hopefully you've seen and digested some chunks of truth about yourself, right? Because the way we wrote the inventory, you you couldn't help but have some big awakenings and understandings and forgivenesses and just this like movement, this churning of all these old ideas. Things have been like turned over, right? Like we've like broken the soil and opened it up and like turned it out. And hopefully that experience has encouraged you or like transformed you. And so your story has changed. Yeah. Who you are and what happened has changed. Because your perspective has changed at that point. You've seen it on paper. You've seen the patterns. You've seen the dynamics and the relationships and the selfishness and the unforgiveness and the lack of compassion. And And so that now with that inventory, that's the like way that I have transformed, that I've seen all this stuff from a new way. And now with my sponsor or with someone I trust, I can tell the new story of who I am. 
what was my childhood like? Well, before inventory, it was like that bitch, right? Like, you know, she was not around. She couldn't ever give me a hug, right? All, all of those things. Afterwards, it was like, well, I was raised by a dissociated mom who was not like, did not have the emotional bandwidth to be very nurturing or to be very kind, right? It's a different story. It didn't happen yeah. to me. Right. So now I get to tell this new story of life not happening to me. And the first the person that I get to do it with is my sponsor, my trusted person. And I say it out loud because there's something magical about saying things out loud. And I admit it to you and you are the receiver of it, but not because I want feedback from you or because I want your expert opinion or I want you to rub my nose in it but because you're just going to re be the receiver. And in that dynamic where there is me speaking the truth about what happened and me hearing it through my own ears and telling it to you and admitting to God, right? That that's the transformational power of it. Not that I go to you and you turn me inside out about what a piece of crap I've been my whole life. Because I've already heard <laughs> right. that. And I already know that. Well, yeah, that's the story I've been telling myself. Yeah. And also, like, I don't judge it or let you off the hook or keep you on the hook. It's nothing. It's just holding the space to for you to have the experience you're going to have and see your own truth and have your own shift and your own evolution. Yep. Yep. I love it. I love that. I mean, it just sounds so kind. It sounds so, like peer support so neutral just like right. so empowering it's empowerment instead of what's it called when people it's not like an indoctrination it's an empowerment it's a liberation from the old stories and the old ideas but i can't tell your i can't tell your story to you in a new way you have to tell it to yourself yeah because right. it has to come from inside of me my story has to be my story. And think about like, what is the currency in AA? The currency is your story. Yeah. Right. And so if my story is like, well, before AA, when I was born, I was a cheat and a thief and a liar. And, you know, I couldn't wait to have a drink. And then like, I just robbed everyone. And I got really sad and lonely because I didn't have any more friends anymore because of what a piece of crap I was. And so I came to AA and then I, you know, surrendered to God. I came to believe that God could save me. And then I wrote an inventory about what a piece of crap I was and how I was bad to everybody. And then my sponsor confirmed that I was bad to everybody and that on my own, I'm garbage. And with God, I may be salvageable. And now I'm telling this story from a podium. It's just like, Jesus Christ, dude, I don't want that that sounds terrible like <laughs> yeah. i don't want that but if it's like you know i was born in a time you know to a family that was like this and to a mother that was like that who you know and i have like like a meta view like i see the whole f or at least uh, more of the picture than i saw before i wrote the inventory and i can tell like yeah i i you know, was born with this 
spiritual malady and the conditions of my life were this way. And I really felt disconnected from people and from God. And so by the time I was 13, I was really thirsty. And then alcohol gave me courage. And then I was injured. I did things that are acted outside of my own principles because alcohol makes me do that. And I hurt people and I was hurt and I was in really dangerous situations and got cut off from a lot of important relationships. You know, I was broken up with or, you know, whatever, all this, all the damage. And it's still, I mean, because I'm a piece of garbage that injures the lives of others is still a story about me. Right. You know, instead of like, there was a whole culture, a whole society, a whole family, a whole person that was affected by this spiritual wreckage. And that like the medication for that is a loving and tolerant, all-inclusive, never-exclusive God. That's a much more interesting story to me, right? That's a story I would like, oh, yeah. I would ask someone about that of like, wow, tell me how you tell me how you found that. What do I have to do? Well, I mean, it's a wholesale, it's like a I identify. It's what you're talking about is identification. Like how how do I self-identify? Do I identify as like perfect divine loving consciousness that's had conditioning in this form or do I d- identify as the experiences that have you know, quote unquote happened to me in this form? So when we, you know, to to bring about a change like that is nothing short of a revolution. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're, that's to me, like this is the essence of any type of spirituality is what do I identify self Mm -hmm. as? Do I identify as a being of light or a being of a culmination of happenings or conditionings that this form has been through in this iteration? But yeah, I mean, you're so right about all of, you know, and then we've talked about this stuff before about any community of people where it's there's going to be performative rewards, there's going to be accolades, there's going to be Gurus. the put on a pedestal, there's going to be the guru identification. And that's a story that goes back to the beginning of time, I'm sure with human beings. And so, so of course, it's here too. So of course, it's here. too. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But to want to not perpetuate that any further on myself or on other people that I come in contact with that are asking for guidance or for me to walk through this with them is such a relief. Like, it feels just so natural and so right. I have a couple people that are in that place right now in the steps, and I'm definitely not going to have them read their inventory to me. I've talked to them about it already. Like, we're going to sit down and have a conversation, and you get to... Tell me how, how you feel different yeah. or what you've what chunks of truth you've seen about yourself and what patterns you've seen. And if your perspective feels different today and if you're willing to let go of some of these old beliefs or whatever. But we're not going to go line by line about your mom, your mother-in-law or some shit. You know, it's like and what a relief that is. What a relief that is for yeah, me. Yeah, honestly, because like, it's woo. a lot to hold. But if you think about it, too, of just like, OK, so reading your inventory to your sponsor must work. Because we all did it and it Mm -hmm. like, but it worked for us. 
right? We're the ones that survived that action. We're the ones that lived through it. And so what I, what my heart broke about is when I realized all the people that could not do that, for whatever reason, we said weren't willing enough, right? Or they haven't hit bottom or some weird mumbo jumbo. But it was because we, we made a religion out of AA. We made it exclusive. Because we said, this is the way you do it, even though that's not from our text. So just like we would say, well, all these TV evangelists are talking about Christ, like they're not like they've made some shit up. But we have done the same thing. We did the same thing in AA yeah. and we made it exclusive. And we we do it with amends and how like you're not supposed to be on your list of people you can make amends to. And we've said it a, like we have a uh, idea of what step 10 is supposed to look like. Like, so now I've been really looking at like, what's all the dogma that we have taken mm -hmm. as fact and as like the one true way. And is it possible that those one true ways are causing, you know, suffering, harm, yeah, yeah. causing harm mm -hmm. because we're being super dogmatic about how you do it. So I feel like a debt to anyone that has um, made an approach in AA and has been freaked out or has been felt like shamed out of AA as someone who was not willing to do it because they couldn't do it the way we were saying it had to be done. When we were wrong, we were wrong. That has been harmful. So there's some amends to make here. So... I hope to be a part of maybe a change in the way we talk about it and the way we share about it and the dogmatic like tightness and religiosity can loosen up. <laughs>